uh, wife, husband, kids, favourite soccer team. There's a there's a few people a few people who are watching. No, excellent. Let me let me pray for you, Kathy, as we start. Yeah, Lord God, thank you so much for Kathy and the work that she's doing with Baptist World Aid. Lord, as she speaks with us now and unpacks a little bit about what uh, they're doing and around the world, and Lord, also as she brings to us uh, portions of your scripture, Lord, I pray that you would embed uh, some of the ideas and the the things that she's bringing out. Lord, I pray that you would embed them deep in our hearts to promote change. Uh, and uh, bring us to a a fuller understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Lord, we ask these things in your powerful name. Amen. Thanks, Kathy. has pushed so many people back into extreme poverty. And extreme poverty really means when you don't know where your next meal is coming from. It's hard for us, I think, to imagine what it must be to live like this. And we're acknowledging at Baptist World Aid that this is not how the world was intended to be. This is not what God intended. And so we are dreaming of, as the poster says, a better world for all. And we're still flying the flag for that. We've got a new CEO, Melissa Lipset, who's taken over from John Hickey. And with her, she just started last year. We've actually got a new sort of look, a new vision. And um, it's interesting that in the lectionary readings, the passage from Revelation, uh, we have this theme of flags. Um, We're going to watch a little clip in the moment because it really comes from that idea in Revelation of people uh, of every tribe, nation, tongue that will be gathered before the throne of grace in the fullness of time. So let's, it's really a message of hope in the bleakness of the world at the moment. So we're just going to watch this little clip now about our new look. Thank you, Maria. Thank you. 
and some things need to be seen and changed. If you see a world where families have enough to eat and communities rise from poverty, where workers are treated with dignity and God's people gather and pray, then you see the world as God intends. You see a better world for all people. So do we. for the world you want to see. Join us today. Thank you. So in the um, lectionary readings this week, if you've looked at them, Psalm 148 uh, speaks a lot about praising God. And it speaks of God being a holy and a righteous God. And of course, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus, God frequently said to the people, be holy as I am holy. And I want to pose that question for us all today. What does it mean to pursue holiness and righteousness in our own lives, living in the 21st century? And how do we respond to that second reading in the lectionary, which was from John 13? And this is, Jesus is just about to return to the Father, and he says to his disciples, love one another as I have loved you because this is how you will be known. This is how Christians are to be known by our love for one another. It's a very challenging piece of scripture. And for Baptist World Aid, as we go into Hindu nations, Buddhist nations, Muslim nations, where you are not allowed to openly speak the name of Jesus, you'd probably be arrested. It's through practically loving people and helping them that many, many people come to faith. Now, when I first started with Baptist World Aid, I did a trip up to Nepal. I'm so grateful I got that opportunity to see our work in action before um, travel closed down. These ladies are all Dalit ladies, which are the lowest of the Hindu caste, and also known as the untouchables. And so they have spent their lives having worthlessness spoken over them. All of them are illiterate. Um, and yet this community, after nine years of partnering with our Christian partners on the ground, is absolutely flourishing. In fact, their farms, they've gone from extreme poverty, their farms are doing so well that these ladies actually club together through the work of our partners in the community to build a road down into the valley to sell their produce in the, mar in the markets there. The men couldn't believe it their women had achieved this and their children are going to school it's a picture of flourishing and our partners are just about to leave and move on and so that is powerful because they have had worthless rubbish spoken over them and nine years ago ten years ago in Nepal there were hardly any Christians at all now there are over 500 churches flourishing there 
in a country where you are not allowed to go in as a missionary, it's through the action of loving your neighbour as yourself. Love is powerful, just like that little banner that you've got up there from Corinthians. And perhaps you could say that the current troubles that the world is travelling through, and I think there's a lot of fear. I, th I think, you know, we're just about to set off to the UK again, and you've got Russia being very aggressive. I have to say, I, there is an element of fear about setting off. They've already shot one passenger aircraft out of the sky. Um, you know, it's a challenge to us, I think, in this season. And yet, in God's economy, I believe that we're living in a season where we're, it's an actual opportunity to shine the light of Christ. It really, really is to demonstrate practically loving people and each other just as uh, Jesus modeled. But one thing is absolutely for sure. Loving our neighbor as ourselves, it's not just going to happen by chance. It isn't. It has to be intentional. And we have to make the most of that most precious of commodities, our time. We have to give time for other people. And we need to be asked asking the Holy Spirit actually every single day to be in, freshly infilled with his spirit so that we are on his mission, not our own um, circumstances. And then when things happen in our day-to-day -day lives, we're then able to respond in a Christ-like way. Um, and we miss those opportunities if we're too busy to see them. And this um, passage, which we had so beautifully written, uh, read for us, thank you for that, um, is an example of Jesus in his own ministry was having a really busy day, really demanding day, and yet he enters into the character's stories uh, by a, as a bringer of hope. When this story happens, Jesus was actually at the pinnacle of his popularity. Of course, he lived in an age where there was no real medical treatment, and so it would have gone round like wildfire that this man was a miracle worker, a healer. He, uh, and, and so people were gathering to, to see him, and he was finding it very, very difficult to get away and have a break, and so were the disciples. And so, of course, the passage opens with him beside the lake. He's just arrived by boat. Immediately, he's swarmed by people. And you can imagine that uh, these would you know, huge demands on his time. After all, Jesus was fully human. Um, but he was probably just about to start teaching the crowd when this dramatic incident happens. Jairus, a very important man in the local community, um, he's, a, he's the synagogue leader. Everybody would have known him. He comes bustling through the crowd. What we lose with our 21st century eyes is how extraordinary this is. This very important man completely throws himself and begs, basically, at Jesus' feet. Culturally, completely inappropriate, but he didn't care. He wanted Jesus to see him because his daughter was dying. I think we can, you know, relate to how desperate he was. And, of course, Jesus, even though he's about to do something else, very important, he stops and he goes with him and the crowd goes along for the ride. By contrast, we have this lady who, compared to Jairus, who is a very important man, she's a, what we might call a nobody. She's been ill for 12 years. She's a social outcast. She's ostracized from the community because she's ceremonially un unclean, because she's got this gynecological issue. 
So she shouldn't be touching anybody, let alone being out in the crowd. If people realized who she was, she would have been sent away in disgrace and shame. That is why she's trying to stay anonymous. She shouldn't be there. She's pushing through the crowd because she's desperate to touch Jesus because she believes he can heal her. And of course, as soon as she touches him, we've got some pictures of that, so I think there might be a problem with that, um, of her pushing through the crowd. Jesus knows that power has gone out from him. So just imagine that scene for a moment. Jesus, first of all, he was going to teach. Now he's on his way with a very, very important local community leader to save his daughter. And then this happens. Well, what could possibly be more important than rushing off to save a dying child? And I think there's the challenge for us. It's a really good question to ask ourselves. When interruptions come along to your day or my day, do we see it as sabotage to our plans and so on? Or could it be that the Holy Spirit is actually inviting us to join him in what he's doing? He always invites. He never forces. There's always a choice. Jesus often came across people in desperate need, but he saw them as an opportunity to reach out with God the Father's love. So he didn't see this poor woman as an inconvenience at all. She was actually a welcome interruption, even though he was doing something else that was hugely important because he modeled, this is what love looks like. This is what being holy and righteousness looks like. It's about care for other people. That is the number one thing as a Christ follower. And so we could ask ourselves, thinking about the work of Baptist World Aid, is the fact that nearly a billion people, that's a lot of people, are going to be pushed into extreme poverty from the pandemic? Is that just, well, an inconvenience? You know, they don't live in Australia. I'll just get on with my Western lifestyle, thanks very much. And COVID, of course, has made this worse. Living here, and there's lots of people doing it tough in Australia at the moment. I fully, fully acknowledge that. But we can so easily take for granted that we've got access to food. If we're struggling, there are people that we can go to. We've got medical support and services. We've got a government that, that invested in JobSeeker and JobKeeper during the worst of the pandemic. We have access to health. And so many people in the world don't. They are completely in it by themselves, like these people, this photo is taken in Dhaka, the capital of Bangladesh last year. Those people are all queuing up for food relief. And food insecurity, as we call it, is actually now a greater problem in the world than the pandemic. And the World Health Organization is saying that 30% of the world's population will tonight go to bed hungry. That's a lot of people. And I think it really brings it home as well that on average, 1,400 young children will die today from diarrhea, an illness that here in Australia is easily treatable by an over-the-counter remedy. You don't even have to go to the doctor for it. This is the world that we're living in in the 21st century. It's a grossly unjust world, unfair world. And that is not God, the Father's heart for this world. It really isn't. I want to talk a little bit about 
Lebanon because just before the pandemic hit, one of my colleagues had been to Lebanon. Now, last year marked the 10th year anniversary of the Syrian refugee crisis. Uh, so, you know, the Syrian war, all these people um, had to flee their homes and they thought they were crossing the border into Lebanon for a few months at worst. 10 years later, they're still there. And these are the kind of conditions that they are living in. We do a lot of work in Lebanon through our Christian partner, Murat. And what is incredibly moving about this situation is that there are some Christians in Lebanon. They're a minority group, but they live, they're very poor people themselves. And yet they have absolutely embraced these Muslim neighbors as they see them who flooded over the border. And my colleague, who's a Filipino and actually grew up in poverty himself, said when he visited this, um, well, what would you call it, slum, shanty town, really, he had never experienced the presence of God in that place uh, anywhere else, ever, as he did in that slum. And he took this photo, actually, which he said just seemed to represent God was there. And at the risk of running over time, because um, we had that reading from Acts read at the beginning, as soon as I heard that, it just brought to mind a story from Lebanon, which if that's okay, Damo, I'd just like to share it. It might mean I've run a little bit late, but I think it's just so, I feel it's just the leading of the Holy Spirit for today. So can you imagine, you know, that maybe you were a doctor or, you know, you had some sort of professional career you had to leave your country and you ended up living in these sorts of conditions for 10 years. Well, families are breaking down under those conditions. They really are. And um, this one particular family, Marat has been reaching out to them, taking food and so on. But they were really, really struggling. And domestic violence was beginning to become a problem and just total disillusionment. One night, one of the teenage girls had a very, very powerful dream. And in the dream, she was with her mother, and they were in a room, and there was a, a man lying dead. And they watched the man come to life. And as he got up, he wasn't like a normal human being. He was glowing. And he, they began to follow him. And everywhere he went, he moved around the refugee camp. He brought healing. He brought peace. He brought rest restoration. So in the morning, this girl was very puzzled by the dream. Uh, it really stayed with her. It had been so powerful. Later that day, there was a knock at the door, and it was our partners, the Baptist World Aid Fund, through people like you, um, from Murat. And they, they had arrived with some food for the family. And so they were invited in, and this girl started to share about this extraordinary dream that she had had. Well, it turned out, oh, what a coincidence, that it was Good Friday. And so the Marath Christians shared with the family the story of Jesus. And the whole family had come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And two years on, the mother of that family said, it's been worth everything. It's been worth losing our home in Syria. It's been worth the struggle of the last 10 years to know the Lord Jesus and to know that we're loved and we don't have to earn it. We are just loved. And that family's been transformed. I find that really moving. You know, that's like the Acts story happening in the 21st century. Um, and that's the power of love. 
in a place where, you know, many Muslim people are resistant to hearing the gospel, but love is so powerful. In fact, in the last decade, more people, more Muslim people have come to faith in Jesus than in the previous 13 centuries. God is powerfully on the move through Muslim, in Muslim communities, and it's often through dreams and visions. And so the country where the church is growing the fastest at the moment is Iran, and the second very unlikely contender is Afghanistan, when you think of everything that's going on there. People are coming to faith in droves, and there has to be a lesson for us in that. When we embrace the, the plight of desperate people, the Lord Jesus is right there, because this is the heart of the Father, and Jesus is about his mission. And he invites us, he doesn't force us, to be part of that mission wherever we are. So to get back to the story of the woman pushing through the crowd to touch Jesus, and as I've said, she shouldn't have been doing that, can you imagine how Jairus must have felt? He, Jesus stops to deal with this lady. He must have been thinking, come on, Jesus, my daughter is dying. And I think we can sympathize because you just think, well, look, you've been ill for 12 years. Couldn't you just come at it back at a more convenient time? You know, this, something else is happening here, lady. But no, Jesus, on the run, stops to help her, even though she was a nobody compared to the very powerful and important Jairus. And so what we see is not just a miraculous and life-changing miracle, but the absolute spontaneity of Jesus's love, because his busyness was not an excuse to ignore this poor woman. And the way that he speaks to her, actually, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. In the original language, that word daughter is not very well translated in English. That is not used anywhere else in the New Testament. And it, it's a term of endearment. It's almost like he said to her, sweetheart, my precious one, I've healed you. And the reason that he made it public was not to shame her, quite the opposite. It was to tell the crowd, it's okay, you can welcome her back in now. You, she can start coming to the synagogue again, she's healed. He's so gentle and lovely to her because she is so precious to him. And those people in Lebanon, every single person around this world, that 30% of people who haven't got enough to eat today, they are precious and loved in the sight of Jesus. It's just amazing. And so when we have eyes to see and we get off the busyness bandwagon, there's opportunities every day of our lives to join with what the Lord Jesus is doing. And when we think of that lectionary reading again, here it is coming up on the screen, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. And that's exactly what happened in that Lebanon story of that whole Muslim family coming to faith. And this is Jesus really echoing what the father said to his people in the Old Testament. Be holy because I'm a holy God and you're my people. So be like me. So to be holy means to be a champion of love. Jesus also said, this is interesting when it comes to mission, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. 
Notice it's a three-part instruction. You'll be my witnesses of love in Jerusalem, in Margaret River. You'll be my witnesses to love in Judea and Samaria, in Western Australia, where I've placed you. You'll be my witnesses of love to the ends of the earth, to the nations. Now, you might not be able to go off to Nepal or whatever, but supporting the work of Baptist World Aid, you can be involved in the nations. And I know that this church has very generously responded to that. So thank you for that. But as followers of Jesus, Jesus was just about to return to the Father when he said this. It's like a final mandate from him. It's not some sort of optional extra. And so Baptist World Aid is involved with bringing God's love and care to the world's most vulnerable and deprived people. The work that we do is fully accredited by the Australian government, which actually is very difficult to achieve, and it means that when people support our work, you know that, that where the money is going. We do a lot of community-based work, which I've already talked about. We also do disaster and emergency relief. So we've got lots of appeals open at the moment in uh, Ukraine, Afghanistan, so many places in desperate need just now. And then, of course, there's our advocacy work that we can all be involved in with ethical shopping and so on. So I've got information if you'd like to come and see on that table at the back afterwards. What I personally love about Baptist World Aid, I've worked there for, uh, for about three and a half years now, is it's always looking, it's 62 years old as an organisation now, but it hasn't just stayed the same. It's always looking to be best practice. And so we don't want a cash handout model. We don't want a model that creates dependency. We want to go into countries and restore people's God-given dignity. So we only work with a, with the, with an orga, with a group like these uh, ladies for a maximum of nine years. And then our partners on the ground withdraw. And two of those years is listening to what the community wants. What do you see you need? And actually, everybody wants the same, like that little video clip. They want safety. They want basic food and water. They want their children to go to school, especially these ladies, because they never had that opportunity. Desperate for their children, especially their girls, to be educated. So as I finish today, I wonder how you can respond to this message. And I hope that you'll reflect on that three-part missional statement of Jesus. And I hope that the Holy Spirit will percolate something in your heart. In terms of Baptist World Age, you can respond to our work in a whole variety of ways. Maybe you have the capacity to sponsor a child, which doesn't just go to individual children, it goes to the whole community. Uh, perhaps you could support a disaster appeal. Perhaps you could be more determined, I think we can all do this, to shop ethically and make sure that you're not buying clothes from companies that are not doing the right thing by their workers. We can all engage at some level with this work, but we do have to be intentional about it. And as Damo said, I think the most important thing is that we can all commit to pray. The prayer of a powerful and righteous person is powerful. I've told you some shocking facts today about the state of our world. And I mean, you just have to turn on the news, don't you, to realize all is not well with the world at the moment. Ukraine is actually one of the great breadbaskets of the world. Of course, there's no food coming from there at the moment at all. So that's why the food crisis is so bad. So we have lots to be praying for. And please pray for Baptist World Aid and our partners on the ground. It's really confronting. We had a Zoom meeting with our partners in Bangladesh recently. They've all lost 
family members to COVID. You know, again, in our Western Australia bubble that we had for so long, um, I'm not saying it's been easy, but compared to a lot of places, uh, when, you know, people have lost their children, they've lost their parents, siblings, it's hard. And remembering again that the Lord Jesus identified with the poor and needy, and he stepped into the stories of people like that lady who nobody else had any time for. She was an absolute, you know, outcast. And so the challenge for us is, are we prepared to listen to the stories of the poor and respond to them? Because with our help, um, because we're spiritual people, these stories can become ones of hope. And I want to finish for all of us with the challenge, I wonder who might be trying to grab onto your clothing today. Let's just pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, I do thank you that each and every person on this planet is important in your sight, fully known and fully loved. And that doesn't matter whether they're Christian, Hindu, Muslim, your love is boundless. And your heart, Lord, is for these people to come to know you and to walk in your light and your goodness. Thank you for what you are doing amongst Muslim people in the world at the moment. And we pray that that continues and that many, many people would come into your kingdom. And I pray for each of us that we would be challenged to step up and do all that we can, remembering that sometimes it's not what we say, it's what we do and how we behave that is so, so, so powerful because of faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is love. Sometimes, Lord Jesus, we're not very good at loving. We confess that. And I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would fill each of us and people watching online afresh today. Overflow us, Holy Spirit, with your love, your kindness, your goodness, your compassion for other people. And in your wonderful and matchless name, I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Um, it's really easy for us to, to say, yeah, that was really good, and thank you, Kathy. And, and you know, what, what you've just shared there is really impactful, and I'd, I'd hate for us to lose the opportunity to actually continue to pray into the